0: Um, We're in uh, the book of Luke this morning, and um, sometimes as we go through a book such as Luke or any book, there are passages that are served up that are quite um, sobering or challenging, Um, but, but we're here to, as best we can, navigate our way through the book, and may God help us and teach us. Oh, that's not the one, this Bible. Okay, if we could stand for a moment, if you're able, and if you'd like to stand just for a moment for the reading of the word, reading from Luke chapter 13. And follow with me in your hearts. Luke 13, starting in verse 18. And he said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of all the air nested in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was leavened. And he went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So, Father, we pray, bless your word to our hearts, quicken us. By your spirit, let us have faith that looks to you and teach us and guide us through these verses we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If you have a cell phone that's not on silent, now would be a good time to do that. Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. He presented himself as the Jewish Messiah to the nation of Israel, but they did not accept him. He came looking for fruit on the fig tree, but it was barren. And therefore, establishing his kingdom on the earth was postponed. It was not cancelled, but it was postponed. We remember after the resurrection, just before the ascension, his disciples asked him the question in Acts 1-6, Lord, now will you establish the kingdom unto Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. Notice he didn't correct them and say, oh, there is no kingdom now. It's canceled. He just said, it's not for you to know the time. And then in verse 8, he says, but preach the gospel. Be witnesses unto me in all the earth, for now uh, is the time that he would be building his church on the earth. We often sometimes call this the church age. But at the end of this age, Jesus will return and he will establish his kingdom on the earth. Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom as as also the prophets had much to say about the coming kingdom. For example, in the book of Daniel, this doesn't like me. Thank you. In the book of Daniel, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. Has that happened yet? Has Jesus come in the clouds of heaven as his return is described, that hasn't happened yet. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and there was given to him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom shall not be destroyed. So we can imagine it would be reasonable if you were one of the disciples to, to be thinking, okay, Lord, where is the kingdom? And when is the kingdom? I don't see any throne or glory. I, I, I don't recognize that, this handful of fishermen from Galilee, and often Jesus was being rejected and facing trouble, and that question about the king and the kingdom sh- surely was in the hearts of the disciples. It would be reasonable for them to have that question. So therefore, we go to our text, and Jesus asked them, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? This grand question, what is the kingdom of God like? Maybe their imaginations. And then he says, it is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden. Now, what do you think of when you think of a mustard seed? Here's one right here. Can you see it? Is it really there? I don't know, I can't see it, it's like it's invisible, I cannot discern. It's so small and buried, and it cannot be seen. And that is the point of the the picture there. In a sense, we could say that the kingdom of God was with them, for Jesus the King was with them, but yet the, the kingdom that was promised was not yet with them in the fullest sense. Let me read to you what it says in Luke chapter 17, verse 20. It says, When the Pharisees asked him when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is among you. So in one sense, the kingdom of God, Jesus said to them, was among them. But in, an, in, a, in another very real sense of fulfillment, the kingdom of God is yet to come. Perhaps this is not unlike 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, when, when John was speaking about the Antichrist. He said the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, is now already in the world. Right? So the Antichrist is a literal figure who will establish his kingdom on the earth, and that's yet future to come. But John says, yet the spirit of the Antichrist is here. So Christ is here in one sense. He was with them. He's the king. But in another sense, there will be a visible kingdom realized when he returns. And let's go back to the verse. It says, and it grew and became a large tree. So this seed, which is not discernible, you cannot see it. You're not sure if it's there. It's planted. It says it will become a large tree, this tiny seed. Even when God was on the earth, Emmanuel, God was with us. People did not see that. People did not discern it. It was a very small beginning. Born in Bethlehem, the tiny village among the thousands, can any good thing come from Nazareth, etc? The kings coming, the wise men coming, where is the king of the Jews? It was very small, very tiny, and yet the king was there. He was among them. Now we understand, of course, he, he was and is the anointed Messiah king for us. As church-age believers, we recognize him as the king, and in our hearts we submit to him and we exalt him. But most on the earth do not discern that. They do not recognize Jesus as the king. They do not have any expectation for any kingdom. This may be foreshadowed in some measure in David, who was anointed king. And I'll read to you in 1 Samuel 22. You remember David was anointed by Samuel. He was anointed under God as king by Samuel, yet he hadn't fully come into his kingdom, right? And it tells us that he was in a cave. And When his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him, and everyone who was in distress, in debt, discontented, gathered to him, and he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. This band of brothers, they discerned something about David. They discerned that he was the Lord's anointed. And they were faithful with him until he actually came into his kingdom. And when he did come into his kingdom, who was it that he honored? Who was it that reigned with him? It was those who discerned the Lord's anointed in a cave. And that's like us, so to speak. We see Jesus in a cave we don't see the glory, we don't see the kingdom, but we discern the Lord's anointed, that He is the anointed Messiah King, and it's just a matter of time before He comes into His kingdom. And when He does, part of the rewards that are spoken of in the Scriptures is that He will honor those who honored Him, and that we will reign with Him. For example, in Daniel 7.27 And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Revelation 5.9, He has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Hello? Hello? We shall reign on the earth, Revelation 2.26. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. 2 Timothy 2.12. If you endure hardship, you will reign with him. And 1 Corinthians 6.2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? So believers in this age, in the church age, it speaks that there is some measure of recognition and honor and reward in the next age to come, in the kingdom age. So the kingdom, you can't see it yet, but it will be fully realized. Let's go back to the verse. And the birds of the air nested in its branches this perhaps makes us think of another tree in the old testament that grew with a great expanse and the birds were in its branches do you remember daniel chapter 4 it was in the vision it was in the dream of nebuchadnezzar the the tree that stretched into the heavens and the birds dwelt in its branches. It's almost this exact phrase, the birds of the air or the birds of heaven dwelt in its branches. And it spoke of, this was speaking of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's kingship and kingdom. Same imagery, same message, that his kingdom had an expanse and the birds of the air spoke of the Gentile nations, the other nations around that would benefit or feed from that tree in the same way that Jesus, when he reigns on the earth, all of the Gentile nations uh, will will participate and benefit from it. Then he goes on, verse 20, again he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Again, the leaven in the dough, you don't see it but it is there and it is working and it will be realized that there is an effectual working that we do not recognize, we perhaps do not discern, but it is certainly real. So here is the point in those figures. We see a small beginning, not discerned really, but an ultimate sure um, kingdom to come. There are some other views and leanings on those parables. Some recognize the, the birds and the leaven to speak of evil that is present that will build and be judged at the end time. Uh, you, can, you can take your own leaning on that. Those principles are true. But what is sure, we can say, is that there is a kingdom to come. There is something that is very real and sure and happening in this age that people do not discern it's small but it grows and it works until the end verse 22 and he went through the cities and the villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem now just like Paul was heading to Rome Jesus is now heading to Jerusalem he knows his ultimate destination and fate there And one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And that's a good question, isn't it? Have you ever wondered that? Are there few to be saved? You can tell in the heart of the questioner, he already had a leaning. Are there few to be saved? Now, this is a good question for the Jews then for those who would face the judgment at the end of the age going into the millennial, but also for every man in every age, this is a good question. And you can read stats and polls about how many people are true Christians, are born again in our own country, etc., etc. However, 2 Timothy 2.19 says, the Lord knows who are His. And I don't think we can make that Um, assumption we will find out let's preach let's pray let's believe let's minister let's live our life unto the Lord let's be faithful to the end and we will see God is drawing and saving and he knows who his own are likewise Jesus also did not answer with a number but what did he say as he so often did. Are you listening? As he so often did, he brings the question right back to that questioner. And he says in verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow gate. And Maybe that's a good people say, what about, you know, how many people will be saved? And what about the people in Africa who haven't heard the gospel? And what about... And you bring the question, what about you? God is more concerned about those people than you are. What about you? You strive, and the word is you wrestle, you endeavor, you do all that you can to make sure that you have entered through the narrow gate. The gate is narrow because there is only one way, only one name, only one Savior, through which man can be saved and come to the Father. And this door is open to all, but it's narrow. It's pictured here as the less preferable option that man would perhaps choose the wide gate over the narrow gate. But make sure you enter that way. Jesus makes it clear, doesn't it? He doesn't say there's two gates. You work it out, and I hope you get it right. He says, I tell you. Strive to go through this gate. This is the only gate that leads to life. This is the only gate that leads to God. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, in Matthew's account, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate. Here he brings in the other option. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go into it because narrow is the gate and straight is the way that leads to life, and there be few that find it. What is the wide gate? Well, certainly the wide gate was like the Pharisees taught that you must keep the commandments that good people go to heaven. It's even commonly taught today, even in our own land, that you must be a moral, good, law-keeping christian that you can earn your way to heaven but paul says that's another gospel that's another jesus that's another spirit and it is a false gospel and then matthew goes on to say in verse 21 of chapter 7 not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me. It's not just about confession, but conversion. It's not just about profession, but it's about possession. You can't say, well, I prayed the prayer and now I have assurance. Joel 2.13 says, don't rend the garments only, but rend the heart. It's the heart before God to believe, to be sure and that you are trusting in what Jesus has done for you. Then in verse 25, he goes on to say, when once the master, and he adds a little parable thought here, the master of the house has risen up and shut the door Right, so there's a there's a time when the gate is open, the door is open. It is open to all. The invitation echoes out. But there is a time when the master has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say, I do not know you. Where are you from? And they will begin to say in verse twenty six. We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. Those Jews, that audience of this day, as Jesus is teaching, he went through Galilee, he went from village to village, they saw him, they knew him, perhaps had even seen the miracles, and heard his teaching, and now they are, Lord, at the end, for them, At the end, whatever that means, their end or the end of the age before the kingdom, the knocking, and he says, I do, I do not know you. Verse 27, he will say, I tell you, I, I do not know you or where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. That's like Titus 1.16 that says they profess to know God, but in their works they deny him. Verse 28 there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. And here again, there are the judgment, particularly before the earthly kingdom on the earth, before that millennial reign. There will be a judgment at the end of the age. But the principle is true also for all those who reject him. Many of the Jews thought they would enter just by the virtue that they were one of the covenant people. But whether you are Jew or Gentile, both must personally believe in Jesus. But these words, there will be, there is no question mark there. And that should move us that should move us to prayer, that should move us to ministry, that should move us with a heart for the lost, that we would pray, we would give, we would go, we would share with people, for this is, this is true. <clears throat> when the kingdom does eventually come, the Gentile nations will participate. Look, verse 29. They will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. He says, indeed, there are last who will be first and there are first who will be last. And again, probably here the last is referring to the Gentiles for the Jews would imagine that they would be the last likely to enter into the kingdom. Maybe there will be a surprise. This wouldn't make the Jewish hearer happy in hearing what Jesus was saying but Jesus didn't speak to make people happy. Jesus came to bear witness of the truth, uh, just as every preacher should do. It's not to entertain or to make us happy, it's to open and to teach the Bible. On that very day, verse 31, some Pharisees came saying, get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now Luke has shown us that the Pharisees, he's put them in a, in a questionable light, an unfavorable light. It's reasonable to assume that the Pharisees really didn't like what Jesus was saying and wanted to get rid of him. So they came and said, Herod wants to kill you, you better leave. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures and miracles today and tomorrow. The third day I shall be perfected. Or the word is actually, I will reach my goal or finish my course. I'm going to Jerusalem. You're not going to stop me. I know what awaits me there. And this is why I came. I love that attitude. When the enemy would prevent, when the enemy would attack even in the life of a believer, I must journey on. You're not gonna stop me, I'm gonna keep going. And this is what he's saying in this expression about today and tomorrow. It's an expression about, he's saying that he must keep going. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. And here Jesus is thinking about Jerusalem He's thinking about his destination. He's also thinking about all of the prophets of old who were sent to Jerusalem with, a, with an unpopular message of judgment. And many of them were rejected and even killed in that city. Jesus, as he considers Jerusalem and that knowing that he would be rejected there as the prophets were, he says in verse 34 O Jerusalem, Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you and gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing." like the weeping prophet Jeremiah as he considered the, the captivity and the destruction of Jerusalem under Keneb- Nebuchadnezzar, as he sat on the hills and overlooked Jerusalem, as he penned the, the book of Lamentations and wept and was greatly sorrowful because judgment would come upon that city and upon upon God's own people. Knowing that The same fate would await Jerusalem some 40 years later with Titus of Rome also coming, laying siege to the city. And he says in verse 35, see your house is left to you desolate and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now we're finishing here. But let's let's make let's let's summarize, let's make this clear. We are in the church age, and we are waiting with a living hope and an expectation of the return of Christ and the resurrection of the saints. And Jesus will will, will then set up his kingdom. But, but when he when he left in this verse, in these verses, and also in Luke 19, he said to them, You will not see me. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This word until means there's a condition, does it not? You will not see me until. Until you say this, you will not see me. When Israel is a nation... And this is prophesied as a future generation of Israel. When they will come to believe as a nation that Jesus is their Messiah, they will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a messianic phrase that comes from Psalm 118, speaking about the Messiah who will come. And Jesus is, in other words, saying, until Israel as a nation recognizes me as their crucified yet resurrected Messiah... They will not see me again. Zechariah 12.10, it says, they will then look to him whom they have pierced. And that's hundreds of years before the cross. And yet it was predicted that the future generation of Israel would look to him whom they have pierced. And there will be great mourning and sorrow, for they will come to terms with the fact that they, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, was the one who was crucified, but also it will ring true with great redemption, for he will return when they say that, when they say those words, and he will defeat the Antichrist and his armies that are opposing the remnant of Israel in that time, he will bring victory, and then he will establish his kingdom on the earth. I read to you Zechariah 13 in verse 9. It says, I will bring one-third through the fire. The fire here is speaking about that time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation and the persecution of the Antichrist at the end. And it says, one-third will survive. Two-thirds of the Jews, the beginning of that period, will perish. But one third, the remnant of the Jewish nation, will survive. And it says, I will bring them through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. And they will call on my name and I will answer them. They will call on my name. What will they say? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. With the sorrow and the mourning and the recognition and faith. Hosea 5 says it this way in verse 15. The Lord says, I will return again to my place. Now, you can't return somewhere unless you were there before, right? So Jesus says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their offense. There it is again. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. This goes back to that word until. Until they acknowledge their offense. And then that will usher in the return of Jesus and he will set up his kingdom. And those who have honored him will be honored. And as believers in the church day, all we say, Lord, come quickly, where there will be the most incredible vindication and justice that will be expressed. And all things will be made made new and we long and look and hope for that day so let's pray together father we thank you for this opportunity to open these pages to think about the kingdom of god to think about your return to think about your promises to think about that glorious day To think about those words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. To think about the recognition of you as the Jewish Messiah when when Israel will be saved. When you will set up your kingdom on the earth. Or we will see that day, we wait for that day, we long for that day. But now we thank you for this opportunity, this age that we are in, the church age, We have have your spirit, and you have called us to be witnesses unto you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. We pray that you would help us individually and as a local church, help us to mobilize us and help us to, to be witnesses, to share, to pray, to go, to speak. We pray many will be drawn to you. We trust you for that. Even now as we pray, perhaps there is one watching or listening online or even here today. You're not sure of your salvation. Oh, Jesus is the way. There is no other way. He is the way, the truth, and the light. No man can come to the Father except by him. Oh, put your faith in him today. For he is the Savior. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is good pleasure to give you salvation. It is his good pleasure to answer you, to hear you, to save you today. So you open your heart to him. And we pray, we thank you together for this this Sunday morning. Bless the worship now to follow, the fellowship to follow. Our dear time with our brothers and sisters, we ask and seal it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.